it would, it would be too much of a stretch for me to say that I don't like sports movies because I've seen a, a million of them and I've enjoyed several of them. But I will say that for the most part, in general, sports movies to me get super hokey and super cheesy super quickly. They, I find them... Uh, unrealistic to the point where it affects my ability to suspend my disbelief, if you know what I mean. Right? The, in the sports movie, the basketball team is, will be down 40 points at halftime, or the football team is down seven touchdowns at halftime, and it turns out all they needed was the coach to give them this inspirational speech. Our boys just need to be fired up. You know, and if we're fired up, then the other, we get turned into the 96 Bulls after halftime, or the 85 Bears after halftime, or the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs, as the case may be, um, after halftime, and, you know, our opponents never get fired up, like we get fired up, and we win, or the boxing movie, the, our hero, the main character, in the pivotal fight for like six rounds, gets punched about the face and head by a guy built like a rhino. And he gets knocked down about 12 times. But all he needs, he just, after picking himself up off the canvas the 12th time, he just needs to catch that glimpse of his wife sitting in the, you know, like I, want, I always want to ask, why didn't you look at her before the fight started? You wouldn't have got beat up so terrible. Or he replays in his mind how his opponent insulted him or his background or his family or whatever. And then once again, he's so fired up that Rhino Man suddenly stands, no chance, and he knocks him out. That, it's just too far, right? In re we know life doesn't, doesn't work like that. The team that's down by 30 gets beat by a lot. The, in reality, the boxer that gets punched by the guy built like a rhino, he takes like four of those shots to the head and wakes up six hours later with his jaw wired shut. That's the way life really works. And so as we get older and we experience real life, we know the good guys don't always win and life's not fair and our team loses. And those, those movies become less entertaining, I think, as we're sort of jaded by life. And also, as we get jaded by life, sometimes the gospel can be more difficult to believe. Last week in the book of Romans, if you weren't here, the last half of Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this book, this letter to the Christians in Rome, whom he's never met, he shares with them very personally his struggle against his opponents, sin and death. Sin, last week, Paul 
described how sin keeps knocking him to the canvas over and over. I know the stuff I want to do. I know what's right. I want to do it. I want to be good. And I find myself not being able to do it. There's sin still living in me. I know what is wrong. That's not who I am anymore. I don't want to be like that. And yet here I am again, knocked to the canvas by sin. And we know life's not a sports movie. We know sometimes there are opponents too big for us to whip. And so did Paul. That's why at the end of chapter 7, Paul cries out, wretched or miserable man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Do you hear what he says there, what he asks? He doesn't say, he's just described how I fight against sin, I know right and wrong, and I always wind up getting beaten by sin, and I fail, and I'm stuck in all these feelings of worthlessness and all this stuff. He doesn't say, when will I grow up and stop messing up like this? It's not what he asks. He says, who will rescue? from this body of death, from sin. It was our last point in last week's sermon. The struggle against sin lets us know we need rescued. And today Paul's going to tell us this. There is rescue. There is rescue. In fact, Paul is going to tell, tell us today that if we know Jesus Christ by faith, the first section of this book of Romans was all about justification by faith. Justification means being declared righteous by God. God looking at you and saying, you are righteous. You are good enough. I'm declaring you pass judgment. Paul taught us in the first four, five chapters of this, four chapters, sorry, of this book, no one's going to be declared righteous by their behavior. There's no one righteous, not even one. But there is a way to be declared righteous by God. By faith in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is going to say today, if you believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he went there for you, because of you. Like instead of you. If you believe that that's why he was there and you are justified by faith, Paul's going to say, not only will you one day be rescued, you already have been. That's our passage today. And this time, it is not a bad sports movie. This is real. The rescue is real. But it can be really hard to believe and remember. How do you believe, how do you remember that in spite of all my sin, I have no condemnation from God? Does that make any sense? That's what, I'm, that's what we want to talk about today. It does. It's the only way this gospel thing can actually work. If you don't have, if you have no condemnation now, if that's not true about you right now as a Christian, the gospel doesn't. And you can believe this, and you need to believe this. That's what we're going to talk about today from this little passage, just four verses, the beginning of Romans chapter 8. I love this passage. Um, 
This is the favorite chapter in the Bible for many Christians for good reasons. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, Paul writes this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, because, or for, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Also, for, because... What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Why? So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's our passage this morning. By the way, before we get started, just in case, there's a couple of uh, translations. If you brought a Bible, I love it if you bring your own Bible. A couple translations you might get right here to the end of verse 1 and wonder, what Pastor Matt do with the rest of verse 1? Because there's a couple of translations that have more verse there. So I just want to speak to that so you're not hung up on that. Um, the, The manuscript evidence is pretty clear that Paul stopped here. And don't think that some devious translators took part of your Bible away. They didn't. What well, you'll find the words that get put there right down here in verse 4. So they're there. Just some copyist got ahead of himself for one reason or another and put some of verse 4 up in verse 1, and that uh, got copied later on. So I'm going to get to those words. They're in there. They're just not uh, originally after verse 1. All right. The main idea of verse 1, the central idea of this passage is no condemnation. Romans 8.1, just after Paul has said, I keep, failing it from, I keep failing in my fight against sin. And then right after saying that, he says, but there's now no condemnation. Even for us who keep failing in this sin thing, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. When you struggle against sin, assuming you have bothered to struggle against sin, you related to the struggle Paul shared last week. I know what's right, I know what's wrong, and here I am, I've blown it again. You get that, right? What is it you feel during that time when you have blown it again? I've said a million times, I'm never doing this again, I've done it again. I let my anger get out of control. I hurt those closest around me. Whatever it is, what is it you feel during that time? In a word, what you feel is condemnation. You feel that God must condemn me. After all, he couldn't love somebody who continues to do this. You feel that God... You deserve to be condemned by God. You feel self-condemnation, self-hatred. And we've all, and so you beat yourself up. I'm such a loser. I'm so worthless. And whether we know it or not, here's what we're doing. We're trying to punish ourselves so maybe God won't. 
subconsciously, consciously, whether we know this or not, when we are stuck in that place where I've blown it again, there's no way God could love me. I don't even love me. So we, we self-flagellate. We call ourselves all kinds of names. Um, we keep ourselves, we, we, maybe we uh, withhold something from ourselves. We, whatever it is. And we think, if I think poorly of myself enough, and if I beat myself up enough, maybe when I let myself out of this self-imposed timeout, God will think, well, she's had enough. You're not so bad. Come on back. That's what we're doing, whether we know it or not. The only problem with that, it sort of makes sense. We understand we deserve to be punished for our sins. Like, I don't want God to do it, so maybe if I do it well enough, God won't. It seems to make some logical sense. The only problem with it is it, how much it disagrees with the Bible, and the teachings of Paul, and the teachings of Jesus, and, and the gospel, and Christianity. Other than that, it's fine. Paul's not making this up. Paul says, just after saying, I've blown it again, I need rescued, the very next thing he says is, there is right now no condemnation for me or anyone else who's in Christ Jesus. And Paul's not making this up. This is not new with Paul. Paul is repeating the words, the concept anyway, taught by the Lord Jesus Christ very early in his ministry. In the Gospel of John, uh, a leader of Israel, a teacher named Nicodemus, came to talk to Jesus in John chapter 3. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible is John what? John 3.16. This is the conversation I'm talking. It is like the most famous passage in the New Testament. The most famous verse anyway. Where, where Jesus says to Nicodemus, for Nicodemus, here's the way God loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, his only son, will not perish, but have eternal life. But listen to what Jesus says next. For God did not send his son into the world to, what's that word right there? To condemn the world. But he sent his son into the world so that the world should be saved through him. The one who believes in the son of God, Jesus, is not condemned. Not condemned. No condemnation. For the one who believes. The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. That's the concept Paul teaches us today. It's what Jesus taught from the very beginning of his ministry. Because of faith in Jesus Christ, you have no condemnation. But when? When does someone qualify for having their condemnation from God lifted? Is it when they finally take this seriously, they improve behaviorally to a certain point? It's when they finally get good, they quit this sin and that sin and start doing this thing and that thing that's good? When? In a word, now. It's not someday if you get good enough, it's not after you get to heaven. Paul says, there is now. And remember what Paul just said. He just described his own failure. 
I know I'm a sinner who needs rescued. But while I'm still that sinner who needs rescued, if I'm in Christ Jesus right now, I have no condemnation. Paul doesn't say there's therefore now no sin for those who are in Christ Jesus, does he? He doesn't say there's no, there's no more blowing it, there's no more failing. He just granted our struggle against sin is going to continue as long as we live on this earth in this state. It's just that our sins no longer have any power to condemn us. If we are one of those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are those who are in Christ Jesus? I think Christ Jesus already told us. Didn't he? Who are the ones who are not condemned? How do we get to be in Christ Jesus? God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that we should be saved through him. How does that happen, Jesus? Well, I'll tell you. The one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he hasn't believed. So according to Jesus, how does one get to be in Christ Jesus? One word, what is it? Believe. Faith. If you believe in Christ Jesus, if you believe he went there and served the death penalty, you deserve, you are in Christ Jesus. My my sin went in him, and now I live in him. So, for those who believed on Christ as Savior, that's who are, who are in Christ Jesus, here's the truth about our state. There is now zero condemnation. How in the world are we supposed to believe that? You're telling me, Maxwell, that no matter how much failure I fail and sin, I sin. I'm not condemned? Yeah. Because that's what Jesus said and that's what Paul said. How am I supposed to believe that? Why does that make a lick of sense? Paul thought we might have that question, so he's going to explain why this is true and why you should believe it. And why, honestly, It's the only way the gospel makes any sense. Verse 2, Paul tells us this. No condemnation now is true. Paul says, because we've been set free from the law that says sin equals death. We've been set free from that. Verse 2, Paul says four. So he's just said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus right now. Because for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul contrasts two things he calls laws in verse 2. These aren't actual, like, what we can think about as laws. These aren't legal systems, like the laws against speeding. This is more like a general rule which governs the way life works, like the law of gravity. Right? You can't get a ticket for disobeying the law of gravity. Right? It just means that governs life. The laws of physics. That's what Paul's talking about. And there's two of them here. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Well, what's that? That's the gospel. 
If you are in Christ Jesus, the, the sphere in which you operate in the world, you are under the law, the principle, the controlling principle of the law uh, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that has replaced the other one, the law of sin and death. Here's what the law of sin and death is. Here's the principle. If you sin, you will die. And it's even worse than that. Paul explained earlier in the book, because mankind plunged into sin, we are so controlled by sin, we are born dead. Spiritually dead. Death is always a separation in the Bible, right? It's always a separation of two things, not the annihilation of one thing. And we are born separated from God. That is spiritually dead. And because of our sin, we will physically die. My, my spirit, my soul will separate from my body. That will be my physical death. And apart from Christ Jesus, if I die and I'm still controlled under the law of sin and death, I will go straight from my physical, spiritual death to an eternal death, which is separation from God forever and ever and ever. That is, every single person is born under that system of law. You sin, and you will, and you will die physically, spiritually, and eternally. But, the, but Paul says, we've been taken out of the law of sin and death and placed in the law of life. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The gospel, what Jesus did for us when we believe in that, it has set us free from this law that our sin will cost and cause and result in our death. So, no condemnation is true because that's what Jesus did. He set us free from the the law that condemned us. The principle that condemned us is if you sin, you will die. Once he took our sin, removed us from the law of sin and death, now we have life. Which again, is not that I will never physically die. It's I will never be separated from God for all of eternity. Once again, same question I asked a minute ago. When does this take place? For the believer. When I get good enough, when I get to heaven when I improve to a certain level, when I graduate from whatever. Paul writes as if it's already done. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law. It's already happened. That's the first reason why no condemnation right now is true for you if you believe in Christ Jesus. Because that's what he did. That's what he died for to set you free from the law by which you were condemned. And once you're set free from that and placed into life, it cannot, that which condemns cannot condemn you any longer. Verse 3, Paul gives us another reason why we should believe, why we can believe, why it makes sense logically that no condemnation now is true for Christians. No condemnation now is true because it was accomplished by God, it was not, it's not something that's accomplished by us. No condemnation is true because it was accomplished by God. Verse 3 reads this way. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. 
What did God do? Well, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Already done over. Thinking back, though I, I hate to always make you think of your struggle against sin, but when you're stuck in that failure and those, fe those feelings uh, of worthlessness, the reason it's so frustrating is because you want to be good, right? Like, I want to be what God wants me to be. Paul said, I, I know the good that I want to do. I just can't do it. And that's our problem. We can't do it. We want to be righteous in God's eyes by our behavior, and we can't do it. So, what the law could not do because we have to do it through our flesh, what the law could not do was accomplish our righteousness. The law can't make you righteous. It can't make me righteous because in our flesh, we're broken. We're born spiritually dead. We're going to be sinners, and we are. So what the law could not do, accomplish our righteousness, God did. God achieved what the law could not, making us righteous. Again, same question. You know what I'm going to ask next? I've asked it twice already. When? When does this happen? When did God make me righteous? Do I have to wait until I'm in heaven? Do I have to wait until I, I quit a certain number of sins so I'm better than, until I'm well above average? No. God already did this. It's already been accomplished, and it was accomplished at the cross. How did he accomplish it? Read the second half of the verse. Sending, he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, and he condemned sin fully in the flesh. First, about the second half of this verse, don't miss who it was that God sent to accomplish this. God didn't just find some guy. Um, you know, we, all, we, we sometimes talk about Jesus. He's, you know, a Jewish carpenter, a very regular guy, but which is true. But he was the sent son of God. God sent his very own son. And this concept of, him, of Jesus being sent is very important. Here's why. Jesus is the only human being who was ever sent from heaven to earth in this way. You know, God does not have like a pantry full of pre-existent human beings that already exist in heaven and he takes one out of the cupboard and puts it in his mommy's tummy. That's not the way like God makes babies, okay? Uh, th by the way, there are, some of the cults teach that. That, that human beings, we are all pre-existent, but that's a denigration of Christ. Christ Jesus is the only one who was in heaven before he was sent to earth as a human being. And that's true because he's God. He's the creator. That's who was sent. And now, Paul says, he was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. That one throws a lot of people. Um, what, what does that mean? That can be confusing. Uh, 
Paul's being very careful in how he describes Jesus here, saying he was sent in the likeness of human flesh. I like the way uh, Brian Clark of Lincoln Berean and Back to the Bible, if you've heard that on the radio, he teaches in that, the way he teaches this. I'm, gonna, I'm paraphrasing Brian here. But here's what, what Brian says. If God had left out um, the word sinful here, because that's, that's the one people have a problem with. Ooh, man, Paul, why'd you have to say he was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh? If Paul had left that word out and just said that, that uh, Jesus was sent in the likeness of flesh, what would people think? People would think Jesus wasn't actually human. He only looked like it. So he, was the, he was like flesh, but he wasn't. Or if he had left out this word, the likeness word, and just said that Jesus was sent in sinful flesh, then what would people think about Jesus? That he was sinful. And that's not true either. So here's what Paul says. He was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. He, was, he had 100% had flesh in the way Paul has described flesh in the book of Romans. He was human. He had a willpower. He had desires. And Jesus, just like you and I do, Jesus lived according to his human fleshly desires. The difference is he only had the likeness of sinful desires. He had, he had, he had flesh like we had, but it wasn't like our flesh. He didn't have sinful desires. His desires and willpower and self-discipline was actually good enough for him to be perfect while he lived according to it. Does that make sense? That Jesus was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh is Paul's way of saying briefly, he was 100% human, he just like us only, which is a big only, he never sinned. And here's why that's important. Because this perfect, sinless son of God, Jesus, could be offered as an offering for sin on the cross. Paul's already taught us in this book in chapter 3, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn for sin is death. So if Jesus had ever sinned one sin, what would he have deserved? Death. If Jesus had ever sinned one sin when he went to the cross, he could not have died for your sin because he would have been dying deservedly for his own. But because he lived without sinning, as the Son of God, uh, as God, he had this miraculous capacity to hold the sins of others. Jesus said he bore our sins in his body on the tree, and he did not deserve to be punished for one of them. And so while he was there holding our sins, he, that's God the Father, condemned sin fully, completely in a human being, Jesus Christ. You know what double jeopardy is? Um, forgive me, I used to teach government class. Our Fifth Amendment, the Bill of Rights, offers protection against double jeopardy. Ever heard that concept? It has nothing to do with Alex Trebek. Double jeopardy, and it didn't start in the Fifth Amendment. We did not make this up. Far from it. At least the ancient Athenians, it was in their written code, that we're talking 400-ish years before Jesus lived, 
So protection against double jeopardy is very, very old. It's like written into us that this is unjust for, uh, for authorities to do double jeopardy. Here's double jeopardy. Let's say, I'll use myself as the example. Let's say our local authorities decided that I was a danger and I needed to be arrested. They could arrest me and charge me with some crime that happened, but because I didn't do it, let's say a jury or a judge acquitted me. Not guilty, let me go. Protection against double jeopardy says I cannot be rearrested and retried for that crime again. Otherwise, here's what the government could do. Let me out as soon as I leave the courthouse, they could arrest me again, put me back in jail awaiting a trial for the same thing. I get acquitted, I leave the courthouse, they arrest me again, they put me back in jail awaiting trial, and I could just be in prison forever just awaiting a trial for the same thing over and over and over. That's, is that wrong? That would be wrong. It's unjust. That's built into us to understand it's unjust. That's one reason why you have no condemnation right now. You know why? Because the Son of God was tried, charged, tried, convicted, sentenced, punished, and killed for your sin already. And it would be unjust of God to put you on trial again when your sin was already in his body on that tree. And when Paul says God condemned sin in the flesh, he poured it all out. That's why there's no more condemnation left for you and me. This consequently is why, even though we might think it makes sense, it really doesn't make any sense to try and punish ourselves for our sin. Oh, I beat myself up. Oh, it's like telling God, Jesus' blood on the cross was not enough for this one. I got to lock myself and time out for this one. Beat myself up and call myself names for a while. And then, maybe there's been enough punishment. If Jesus didn't suffer enough for your sins, you are in trouble forever and ever and ever. Either he did or he didn't. And if he did then there is no condemnation right now if you are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation is true for you. Even when you fail and sin. Because your righteousness is not something you accomplished anyway. Right? If your righteousness is something you accomplished and you had to hang on to, You would deserve condemnation when you failed. If God accomplished what you couldn't, God has not failed when you fail. Do you hear that? Understand what I'm saying there. I want to be good. It's a good desire. I want to glorify God with my life. It's a good desire. But God made me righteous at the cross. And when I fail in my desire for behavioral righteousness, that does not mean God failed in what he accomplished by giving me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is why there is no condemnation, because it's not something we accomplish. Whether we are condemned or whether we are set free is no longer ours to to have anything to do with. It was accomplished by God by sending his son. And finally, last verse. Here's something that helps us believe 
that this is true. No condemnation now is true, and we can see that, and it helps us hang on to this truth when we see grace resulting in greater obedience. Verse 4, Paul says this, so that the righteous requirement, God, one reason Jesus died for our sin is so that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us, us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Paul's going to talk a lot more about what it means to walk according to the Spirit versus walk according to the flesh in coming sermons, so I'm going to mostly leave that one alone for another day. Here's what Paul, he just said in verse 3, at the cross, Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, the curses of the law. If you sin, you're going to die. He became that curse for us. But now, one reason he did that is so that the righteous, obedient, obedience requirements of the law can more and more be fulfilled in us. This is quite a concept. What Paul is saying here is, the grace of God results in greater obedience than the law of God ever did. And this is the, always the charge against Paul. Paul, if you teach people that we're justified by a free gift of God's grace, all people have to do is believe in Jesus and there's no condemnation, no matter how much sin they sin. If you teach people that, Paul, people are just going to go crazy and they're going to sin like they've never sinned before. And Paul says, no, they won't. Paul says Jesus died in part so that the righteous requirements of the law may be fulfilled in us. Grace results in greater obedience. The law always results in more sin. It's been weeks since I talked about this. But Paul taught us no matter how much we try in our flesh and self-discipline and effort, and we're going to be good. No matter how much that's the way we try to get obedience, it never works. It ends in failure. No matter how good we think we are at it or how bad we think we are at it. Because when we live by our flesh, according to the law, one side we might just throw our hands up and say, I can't do this. When we figure out the truth, I can't do this, then we might just go, so then who cares? I just want to do whatever I want for as long as I want because I can't do this. The expectations are too high. That's your feeling like you're so close to the truth because you're half right. You can't do this. The other side of it is, though, if I am more obedient than those around me, either I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go out with girls who do, right? Uh, and I am better, and I am separate, and I am more obedient than those sinners out there. Before long, even when I think I'm crushing this compared to other people, then I just wind up sinning sins I don't see like pride and self-righteousness and anger. Because Paul told us, the law never bears fruit to God. It only can bear fruit to me. Look how good I'm doing. Grace isn't like that. Once I understand what Paul is teaching us today, there is no condemnation for me forever and ever and ever, starting now for as long as forever goes. No condemnation. I've been set free from the law of sin and death. I want to be with the God who did that for me. That's walking by the Spirit. We'll talk more about that coming later. And then, once I understand 
I'm no longer trying to do good things so I can get into heaven someday. I'm no longer doing good things so that I compare favorably to you. Because now there's only two kinds of people in the world. Either by faith in Jesus Christ, you look to God like you are exactly as righteous as Jesus was. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's perfect. You either look completely 100% perfect or you're dead in your trespasses and sin and your condemnation is still... That's the only two kinds of people they are. So now it does me no good to compare myself to you and think I'm getting a good score. Because I bear the righteousness of Jesus Christ and either so do you, so we're tied, or you don't, but I want you to. And so now I can do stuff that actually bears fruit to God. I can do stuff that makes Jesus Christ look good. And I don't have to try to do stuff that gets me into heaven because nothing I do is going to get me into heaven that's already taken care of. I already have no condemnation right now. And so now the good works I can do can really be selfless to make him look good and to benefit other people. Understanding before God, I, don't, I get nothing out of it. I'm not trying to get myself into heaven or make a big deal out of myself after I get there. That's the difference between good works in the spirit and grace and good works in the flesh. That's why Jesus says at one point, be careful when you do your good works in order to be seen by men. And then a few sentences later, he says, do your good works before men so that let your light so shine before men so that they can see your good works and glorify the Father who's in heaven. That's the difference between good works done in grace and good works done according to the law. And one thing that will remind us that this no condemnation thing is true is when I find myself actually doing things I would never have done before I came to know Jesus and hoping no one finds out it's just for God or doing the, the, and the, the real motivation of my heart is just so that someone might come to know him as Savior. Jesus said this too. This isn't new either. Jesus told his disciples, apart from me, you can accomplish Nothing. Even our own goodness and righteousness, we can't do it. Through grace, we actually can. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, I started with a sports metaphor. Let me end with one. What's hard to believe about this, we know life isn't like a sports movie. And so we get beaten up and beaten up by sin over and over again. And we think there is just no way because we know the team doesn't come back from the kind of deficit I'm under to sin. Right? It's not how this works. So I want to tell you, life is not like a sports movie. The Christian life is not like a sports movie. The Christian life is much more like tag team wrestling. You remember tag team wrestling? Imagine yourself tag team wrestling, you're in the middle of the ring, you are built like an ant. Your opponents, there are two of them. Their names are sin and death. They're built like rhinoceroses. Rhinoceri. Rhinos. You have no chance. They've been body slamming you your whole life. And so you cry out, who can rescue me? 
from this body of sin and death. And you feel a little tap on your shoulder. And you look over and your partner is Jesus Christ. And he says, just put out your hand and let me tag in. And Jesus tags in and you think this is going to be great, but you know what happens first? Sin and death pile drive Jesus to death. And you think, oh no, I tagged him in here. That should have been me down there. But as the referee gets to the three count, Jesus kicks out. He was dead, but he kicks out. And he jumps off the top turnbuckle and gives the people's elbow to sin and death. And he kills them both dead and he pins them both. One, two, three. And the crowd goes wild. And here comes the referee. Picture this. He's got the championship belt and the crown to give to Jesus Christ. And it's so awesome. He killed sin and death. And then you look at the referee and he's bringing that belt to you. He's got one for you. And you want to say, no, 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 no. I didn't do anything. Those two have been kicking my tail for my whole life. I don't deserve this. No, no, no. He went in there and he did all the work and I let them kill my partner first and then he beat him. And Jesus says, will you just shut up for a minute? You're half right. You couldn't win. But when I pinned them, I pinned them on your behalf. And so you wear this belt and this crown forever and ever and ever because of what I did. And when you sin and you fail and you want to take that belt off and, oh, I don't deserve this, I'm the worst, Jesus says, you are denigrating what I did in that ring on your behalf. And if I tell you there is no condemnation because I pinned your greatest enemies, you either believe me or you don't. But don't denigrate what I did for you in believing that it's not true. Because right now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? That might be the most irreverent sermon illustration that's ever been given, but I hope it's memorable. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this truth. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Help us remember you pinned sin and death to death on our behalf. And you accomplished what our behavior and the law could not. You accomplished our righteousness. And either we believe that or we don't. God, for those who are here who are not in Christ Jesus, impress upon their hearts that they will still face the condemnation that comes with sin equals death unless they tag in their partner, Jesus Christ, who died for them and rose again that he might defeat their greatest enemies. May we believe this truth that it would draw us closer to you, that the righteousness that comes by faith might more and more come through us to your glory. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and finish with us.